I want to get right into the message this morning. I'd like you to take your Bibles, and if you would open to me, I'm going to start at uh, Mark chapter 7. I'll give you time to find that. Mark chapter 7, and I want to look at uh, verse number 24. I'm going to try to speak on a message that I've entitled, There is Always Something to Have Faith For. There is always something to have faith for. And probably if I abbreviate it in any, it would be a, a good reason for faith. Now I want to look here in Mark chapter 7. I want to pick up in verse number 24. The Bible says, and from thence he arose, speaking of the Lord, and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house. And would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Now, when I think about that so many times, and I just used this a little bit last week, I want to just really just kind of touch on it here this morning. Oftentimes, what happens to us, we believe we have faith. But sometimes we actually hide our faith. And do you know that when you hide your faith, you destroy your faith? You know, faith just doesn't grow. It just doesn't express itself. Uh, When that's the case, we can't expect anything from God in our behalf on the faith that we have. Now, he wasn't trying to hide what he had to say, but he just would have had no man to know it. There was a specific reason for that, and maybe we're going to find that out here this morning. But the act of using your faith strengthens your faith. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, the Bible says in verse 25, a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, she heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. Now, I've said this before, and and I always like to say it. I I like to say it so much that I'm going to say it again this morning. I have what is called the Franklin, Franklin Language Master LM 2200. Wow. There's not hardly anybody else got that. They got maybe the 2100, the 1900, but they don't have the 2200 like I do. But it let me down. I thought, I went to the Franklin, and I typed in Syrophoenician, and it came out serpentine, meaning a snake, meaning kind of a demonic, devilish, satanic, a wicked person. Now, I didn't believe this woman was a wicked person, but this was the nation, what they basically were, according to what the Scripture says here. And I'm just trying to find out some evidence, and so I just kind of passed that along this morning. But the Bible says she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But he said unto her, Let the children first be filled... For it is not meat to take the children's bread 
and cast it unto the dogs. That's what he said to this woman. And she answered him and said, Yes, Lord, but the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And then it says in verse number 29, He said unto her, For this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil uh, gone out of her, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Now, I want to mention something to you. From what I can see in the word is that healing is the children of God's bread. If you have something you need to be healed of, you have, as a believer, you have the privilege of calling upon the Lord and asking Him that your request might be met. Healing is the children of God's bread. Therefore, He denied this woman, or at least caused some of the others that might have been gathered there to know that it was not be it was not meat to cast to the dogs. Now, my sermon title last week was Faith for the End Times. I wasn't speaking of a new faith for the end, but the same faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Amen? That's the faith we are to contend for. That in times of trouble, God will see you through. But it's going to be because of your faith in him. His word alone can increase our faith. Nothing else can. The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. He will honor any man's faith when that faith honors and trusts in him and him alone. When you take him at the sovereignty of his word. Now, this lady that received healing for, from the Lord for her daughter it doesn't say she was granted the healing by her faith or that she operated in faith or that she had any faith. According to Mark, that's the story we have in Mark. I want to go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And I want to look at this story from Matthew's viewpoint. At least the things he reveals to us. And so I'll pick up again. Verse 21 of Matthew 15. He came thence and departed the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, listen to what it says, came out of the same coast. I know it's the same story because it says, And she cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Verse 23, he answered her not a word, and his disciples even came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Verse 27, And she said, Truth, Lord. Yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. I really like Matthew, the way that verse 27 comes forth. Get, you know, gives me those, I, I feel the little goosebumps, you know. 
And uh, I felt them when I read it again. Read it so many times. And he said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now, did you notice the variance in Mark's disclosure versus Matthew's? Is it anything to be worried about? Can I say to you, no. All scripture, the Bible says, is given by inspiration of God, which is the Holy Ghost. Is that right? Well, sure it is. Often church people sometimes lose faith over things like this, just little old things. But yet then they gag at a, they will gag at a gnat and swallow the camel, and sometimes the camel's not even there. It's like adding to the word when it doesn't speak and omitting that which is clearly spoken. It's the darndest thing I've ever seen. It just floors me sometimes. Well, you know, we believe this because this is what's been taught. And then what's been taught, we don't receive. (laughs) We omit it because that's what we've been taught. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I got the question of folks' faith. Let, Let me say something right here. Can I say faith is not a doctrine? Faith is not a doctrine. It's like some new thing has come about that says faith is a doctrine. In other words, if you've got some word and you're standing on that word, bless God, you know what I'm saying, uh, then that, that's, you know, that's one thing, but if you, if you want to believe something else, then that's okay because you've got trained faith for that. I believe faith moves the hand of God. I believe it with all of my heart. But that is faith in him and faith in his word. And so many times we got faith in some kind of what we believe to be a a doctrine of faith when faith is simply just a gift and it's trust taking God at his word and his word alone. You can't add to it. You can't take from it. Amen? And so when we understand that, we get on, you know, the right element of faith here and we, we, we believe that, you know, it's touching uh, what the word has to say. Now I want to go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, and I used this verse last week. I want to use it again this morning, verse number 12. The Lord said unto the apostles in this verse, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. You cannot bear them All now, and I inserted the word all. You just can't bear it now. Like I've said so many times, you receive something, and God begins to expound on what you received into your thoughts through the Holy Spirit. And you begin to walk in that. And then you get nurtured a little bit more in another area of the word, and the Holy Spirit let you begin to grow in that. He said, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. And I again inserted the word all. You can't understand it all, you know, as you begin to walk the walk. Verse 13, how be it, he said, when the Spirit or the Holy Ghost is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, 
But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you what? He will reveal or show you things to come. Who's it talking about? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the Holy Ghost, which is the inspiration of God's thought and his word. You know how the Bible says he spoke and the worlds came into existence. He spoke and faith, uh, the faith of God's spirit as we receive it, but his spirit moved upon his word. And when his spirit moved upon his word, the desires of his heart came to pass. Now, I often hear men speak as if they possess a faith that is superior to almost any other. Have you ever noticed that? You'll say, well, you know, and they'll catch you in maybe an area where they believe you're doubting, and they'll go, hey, you know, and they'll speak about that superior faith they have. And I got to, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you that there is men with great faith, uh, great things have happened in their ministry because of their faith, but I also got to tell you that uh, you can have that same kind of faith, amen? So they don't have that faith alone. And then I hear, thank you, Clayton, then I hear that there's those that have a faith which I call entitlement message faith. In other words, God owes them their abundance, God owes them their blessings, the windows of heaven ought to be opened up for them, uh, you know, whether that be for finance or whether it be for health, you know, whatever it is, you name it. So oftentimes I see that. I, I don't really like the word per se entitlement. We see a lot of people today are, are abusing the word entitlement. The government owes us this. The government owes us that. Have you claimed what the government owes you? People telling somebody else how they can get something from the government, which really requires us to lean more upon the government, you know, by them saying that. I look at people that are standing on the corners today, and often I see that person, you know, that corner, and then I see people you know, holding up traffic, rolling down their windows, could cause a disaster there, and the individual coming out. You know what they're saying? They're saying they're entitled. Oftentimes, they're entitled to your blessings, and they expect that. You know, they expect that from you. Now, when I say this, I want to tell you right out, there is probably genuine people out there that... Uh, you know, or on the street corners. But then the scripture comes to my mind that says this. David said, I was young, and now I'm old, but I've never seen God's children begging bread. Come on, am I right or am I wrong? Oftentimes, those that are on the corners are going to use what you give to them, and we've been guilty of that. All of us have. We've been guilty of feeding them their habits. In other words, we're buying drugs for them. We're buying whiskey and wine for them. Do you understand that? Somebody says, yeah, but I just give it all in faith. Well, God tells you to be a good steward also, doesn't he? Why, rather than just give it in the midst of the traffic, won't you take time to pray about it and seek God's faith? Pull over somewhere where it's safe and pray about it and ask God what to do rather than do it as an impulse. I get tired of people that feels like they are entitled to the benefits of God when they don't come under the benefits of God. 
Do you understand it? He said, if you'll do thus and so, I will do thus and so. If you do not do thus and so, he said, I will not do thus and so. And so many times I just get to the point that I see Christians being taken advantage of and they've been taught this uh, somehow in this entitlement faith message that you're, to just, you're going to receive a blessing forgiven, therefore give it. And I tell you something, sometimes it'll backfire on you. I've been a giver all my life. I've been taken advantage of. But I always try to do it according to what I feel like the Lord would lead me to do. Pray about it. And don't make such hasty decisions. Now, I want to go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I want to look at verse number 13. Remember my sermon title is there is always something to have faith for. Or to brief that just a little bit, it would be a good reason for faith. Now, right after Christ's resurrection, I want to pick up here in verse number 13 where there were two, the Bible says two of them, and let's re, I'll read that. And behold, two of them went that same day to the village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, and uh, I've read somewhere that was about seven miles And they talked together of all the things that had happened. Verse 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, the Bible says Yeshua, Jesus himself, drew near and went with them. Now here they are. They're walking on a long walk. And the Lord joins them. This is after his resurrection. And the Bible says... They talked together of all of these things. The Bible says Jesus himself drew near them and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now, that doesn't imply what most of the time we think it implies. When we read that, oftentimes we think Jesus drew near to them and he blocked their eyes. They were holden that they should not know him. Uh, The word holden means restrained. So the thought could be, did Jesus restrain them? Or did doubt restrain them? Or did unbelief restrain them? A lack of faith restrained them? Well, perhaps it could have been a little bit of all together. But it doesn't say the Lord restrained them from knowing him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad or are depressed? Right? Right. Thank you. (laughs) I love you, Clayton. Clayton, I've said it before. Clayton, when he was a young boy carrying his Bible, come with his grandma to church, Clayton would sit right back, right there on the last row or two with his grandma. And let me tell you something, and I want to say this. You can't judge how God works upon another person's heart. You can't judge that. What I'm saying by that, you don't know that. You don't know what's revealed, how God is moving. That's why sometimes even the little children that are in the services, and, and don't get me wrong here, I believe this to be true. I was raised where we went into a class, and we had the classes, 
But when it came to preaching the word, I don't care if you was one year old or ten years old or twelve years old, you stayed in the sanctuary. And by a lot of times that teaches the children. And you think, well, that's over their head. They can't comprehend any of that. But, hey, that ain't right. I, I noticed this about Clayton. When he amened, it was always in a place where an amen should have come forth. You see what I'm saying? He's known the Lord since he was a little boy because of the faith of his grandma. And I, I honored that and I remember that. And so Clayton, even because sometimes things aren't exactly like we want them to be, your faith is still honored by God. Amen. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart. And the Bible says that they were sad. Verse 18. And the one of them answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Hast thou not known the things which are come to pass in these days, there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all of this, today is the third day since these things were done. The third day. That was the third day. And what was the third day? Because actually, <laughs> when this was all done, uh, he, he had already been in the grave three days and nights. But this was the third day since all these things done. Do you remember the day after uh, the counting time, they went and sealed the tomb to make it sure that no man would steal his body away? And so they said, and besides all of this, this was the third day. Well, that was since the sealing of the tomb. Now, let me just drop down in here just a little bit. And he said unto them, verse 25, O fools, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded unto him and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village where they were going, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, and they said, Abide with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, the Bible says, then they knew him, and then he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he hath appeared unto Simon. And they told what things were done in the way. And as they spoke, verse 26, he stood in the midst of them again and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted. First they were sad, they were depressed, and now they're terrified. They're terrified and afraid. But the Bible says they supposed that they had seen a spirit, and I've said so many times the word spirit and ghost they're the same thing, so the writer could have said here, uh, and they supposed that they had seen a ghost. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? 
And why do thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Listen, this is his resurrected body. His glorified body. Still has flesh and bones. Minus what? Minus the blood, because the blood was spilled out at Calvary's cross. Amen? But he said, handle me. Get your hands on me. Touch me. I like that. I like that real good. The Bible says, and when he had thus spoken, verse 40, he showed them his hands and feet. He showed them the nail prints. And while they yet believed not for joy, the Bible says, he said, have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled. And the Bible says, which would indicate to some degree, uh, when it says that they were beholden, their eyes were beholden, this might indicate, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, Christ suffered. And that verse 47, Repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I send you the promise of the Father. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. Verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany. He lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. That's a lot of reading. But it's alarming how faith lies dormant pops up, disappears, comes back, reappears again, and then goes dormant. It seems like faith and lack of faith coexist as relatives. But faith and lack of faith are two separate things. You either got faith or you ain't got faith. And if you got faith, God's going to test your faith. Sometimes he's going to put a little more on you. To see if you can carry a little bit more. You can go a little bit farther. I've said so many times that Noah preached and he had what is known as faith in God's word. He took God at his word. But he didn't have the gift of faith until the gift of faith was needed. He finished the ark in 120 years. He goes inside the ark and the door, the Bible says, is closed. He sits there another seven days before the rains fall. That is the gift of faith. That caused him to stay seated when you would have almost tore the place apart to get out. We need sometimes the gift of faith where we can lift the impossible in a disaster with unhuman abilities and just lift it up and cast it off. Amen? That's the gift of faith. That's a special gift of faith. Read about it in the nine gifts of the Spirit. Faith. This is not the faith that saves us. I mean, they're not to be confused with each other. But it is alarming how so many times that Christians, you know, just kind of operate up and down in the area of faith. 
And then there's some that just got that entitlement hype faith. In other words, uh, there's no judgment. Don't judge anybody. They're all saved. God loves them all. They just don't know it. Well, that's no, no mystery that God loves us all. I mean, that's, that's taught throughout the Word. And we're not saying that God doesn't love them. But God can't honor something that you don't have when he requires you to have something that he could honor. He ain't your faith for you. Your faith in God is your faith from you. Amen? And he don't stand there in his faith to replace your faith that's sagging during a certain period of time. You either got faith or you ain't got no faith. And so you can get faith if you'll get in the Word and you'll hear the Word. Faith will come alive in your heart. If you act on that faith, you'll begin to see the principles of faith. You won't feel like you're entitled to something when you ain't entitled to it. You see, when I got married to Connie, I'm, I, she became my wife. I became her husband. We were pretty much entitled to each other. But I didn't have the right to go out there and be entitled to her. You see what I'm saying? It, it, you know, I mean, someone else, someone else could have uh, owned you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Someone else could have owned you besides me. Hey, you heard that. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to get a point across. Just trying to get a point across. Faith and doubt cannot coexist in the same believer. You can't take God at his word and not take God at his word and call yourself a believer. I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, let's uh, just read a little text here. Give me, give me just a little time. I'm operating with one hand here. 2 Timothy. Past Ephesians, past Philippians, Colossians. Coming on over. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Ah, there we go. Now, I want to look at verse number five. I've entitled the message, Always Something to Have Faith For. Now, look what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. If a man also strive for masteries. I went to my Franklin, and he let me down on this one too. I'm telling you, I'm getting to where I don't know whether I ought to trust in Franklin or not. Amen? You know what's the best thing to do if you have a Franklin or if you have a Webster's or you have uh, something to that line? You kind of run them across together. And when I would type in ma- uh, mastery on Franklin, it would put in mystery. And I thought, well, I'm spelling it wrong. It would always go to mystery or it would go to master or something like that. It wasn't giving me what I wanted because, see, I'm reading here from the King James and the way they spell it. If a man also strive for mastery, listen to this, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. In other words, he is not crowned unless he strive lawfully. So in other words, when it says strive for mastery, it is saying you need to strive for the crown. But yet you can't expect to be crowned if you don't abide lawfully. That's that's not real confusing, but it's sort of confusing. But I just want you to get the impact of that word right there. 
Verse 11, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Now that's positive. That's fact. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, look what it says, he will also what? Deny us. If I deny him, why should I expect something by what I call entitlement faith doctrine? Why should I expect God to do for me what I have not lawfully done to receive that blessing? He doesn't owe us salvation. Do you know that? He came that all men might receive salvation, but they got to act on it according to the word. You see what I'm saying? God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you anything. He has paid everything. Now, if we suffer, he sh- we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can deny us, but he cannot deny himself. Oh boy, I'll tell you something. He's the sovereignty of his word. He can't go contrary to his word. We sometimes do, and we shouldn't. So if you want the Lord to crown your faithful service to him, you better strive lawfully, lawfully. Now, is that talking about the laws of the land? Well, he wants us to abide by the laws of the land, but the laws of the land can't grant us salvation. So when, I, when I'm talking about something here, and I'm talking when, when it says strive lawfully, then, then that's, a, that, that's a doctrine towards his law or his word. And I've said they are simultaneous. I mean, they just, you can, his word is his law, his law is his word. So when I see that, why wouldn't I want to act according to that? But oh, here's the problem. So many preachers don't teach that. What do they teach? Why, basically, you are entitled to the promises. You are entitled to the gifts. You're entitled to salvation. You're entitled to healing. Well, The lady wasn't entitled to the children's bread. But she reached out by faith and worshipped him and trusted him that her daughter would be set free according to the word. Amen. She wasn't necessarily a believer. But he saw something in her that had potential to believe and because it had potential to believe he counted her as a believer and he said unto her, Thy daughter shall be set free. This old entitlement stuff. It's kind of like my neighbors down there. Man, when it comes to country living, they, they ain't got a clue. They feel like me, Dustin, and Brian, and Connie are their entitlement package that came with the selling of the house. But listen to me, that money's gone. And when that money was gone, they ain't no entitlement. They weary us from time to time. They treat their dog bad. But I got to be good to them because I'm running cattle on their land that used to be my land. Now, I pay what is called a lease. So I'm entitled to that, uh, I'm entitled to that, Clayton, you know, because, I mean, in a sense, I've made a contract, I've made an agreement. Doesn't mean I can do beyond that agreement, 
But I'm just trying to use a few illustrations. That we are the children of God. He said, if you love me, you will do thus and so. And so many times in the process of that, he tells us if we will do what he calls us to do, we do that. We get labeled today as legalist. But I got a word for you. The word legalist is not in the Bible. The word legalist is not in the Bible. We look at the children of Israel, and certainly the children of Israel attempted a legalist form, you know, to... Follow God. They protected his word in an area, his commandments in an area that didn't require their protection. We would call them extremists in the law. But boy, there are extremists on the other side of that coin also. Amen? They're extremists. In fact, they're so extreme that if you mention the word obedience or you mention the word law or you mention that, they're going to slap real quick back with the word called grace and word called faith. But he said, if a man strive for the crown, yet is he not crowned, he won't be crowned unless he strives lawfully or spiritually or according to God's word. Now I want to go to 1 John chapter 1 real quick. 1 John chapter 1. Let me turn over there just real quick. 1 John Chapter 1, verse 4. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law. For sin is, it doesn't say sin was, it says sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now listen to this. Whosoever sinneth not, hath not, sinneth hath not seen him, neither knows him. But he says in verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is what? Is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now listen to this verse number 9. Whosoever is born of God, and it is so important to be born of God, to have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Somebody says, well, I've seen people that certainly were born again and they've committed sin. Brother Lee, is there something? Can you explain that? Well, I think I can. Whosoever is born of God doth not sin, for his seed, Christ God's seed, remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, the born-again spirit in you can't sin, but the flesh you abide in can. So what are we called to do? We're called to crucify the flesh, crucify the flesh. The Bible says mortify the deeds of the flesh. You have to do it on a daily basis. Can I tell you something? That born-again seed that's on the inside of you, it doesn't sin. I want to get that into your heart. It's not the one doing the sinning. If I do something wrong contrary to God's word, it, it, it's me, my flesh. But it's not the spirit that I was birthed in. The spirit that I was birthed in gives me the potential, the opportunity to abide in the things of the Holy Spirit as I'm walking in this life, growing in this life, hoping for the life that is future and yet present 
at the same time. You know, we're called up, the Bible says, the heavenly places. We set in on councils and such in our spirit that we're often not aware of. Somebody says, I ain't been there in a long time. Well, that might, <laughs> that might say something to answer the question why we're not there in other times. Uh, You've got you to gotta overcome the works of the flesh. Now, I'm going to close with Romans chapter 9, real quick. Romans chapter 9. Paul was speaking, and Paul said in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he says, who are Israelites? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises? Whose are the fathers and whom, and whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever? Verse 6, not as though the word of God hath none effect. He simply says when you're looking out at what is called Israel, he said they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Do you understand that? Or just like any nation, just like any city. I mean, you may have been born in that city, or you may be born in that nation, and you might be of that nation, but it comes to Christ, it doesn't mean because of nationality that you're going to get special entitlement benefits. Now, there's many that preach that. They preach that uh, concerning Israel, the end-time teaching thought is that most ministries apply that people to the whole nation. They apply it to the whole nation. They're all going to be saved. Everything's going to be fine. All the end time is going to, it's going to uh, circle around uh, Jer- Jerusalem, Israel. The end time circles around Messiah. Amen? It circles around Messiah. Now, whether things take place or transpire there, that's a, you know, that's, that's, that can be part of it. But everything encompasses Messiah. Even end times. Even end times do that. I, I'm only using this for an example of those who profess faith versus works or grace versus uh, legalism, what they would call legalism. He said, they're not all Israel that are of Israel, neither because they are all the seed of Abraham are they children. But in Isaac shall they be called. That is, they which are they are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Verse 20. Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Rex Tillerson, and I don't like to, I didn't want to get in any politics today, but Rex Tillerson is in favor of the military performing at taxpayers' expense in the military transgenderism. Why hast thou made me like I am? I come back to the entitlement theory that has been taught today not only in the world but in the church. 
God owes you everything when God does not owe you everything. Why should you say to God, why hast thou made me this way? Now, that's all as far as I'm going to go in on that. Hath the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endureth with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. For as also in Hosea, verse 25, Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a what? A remnant shall be what? Shall be saved. Shall be saved. They're going to be made up of those that may be of Jewish descent because Israel was certainly more than just the tribe of Judah. And the seed was in Isaac or Jacob Israel in his spiritual name. And so I'm, I'm only telling you this this is, this is just simply because of the way the message is going today uh, as I'm proceeding down through here. There's always something to have faith for. I can have faith for the end of, of my life that it is right with God, then I'm ready with God. But I can't have faith for someone else, you see. Uh, this right here is talking about something that uh, a lot of people overlook. I look at preachers today. They're what they call Zionists. They are in the Zionist movement. They prop up the nation of Israel in a sense, telling them basically <laughs> that they don't need Messiah or they don't need Christ. Are they not saying that? They don't speak that to them so they can have this, uh, this, this so-called relationship with them. How can you have a relationship with somebody as a spiritual leader and not tell that person that their Messiah has already come? You know why they don't say that? Because they give them the old boot and they'll tell them to get gone. I don't believe in the Zionist doctrine. I don't believe that they can go over there and they can refrain from telling somebody, hey, your Messiah already came. The world's Messiah already came. Not only did he come, he lived a perfect life. And then did he go to a cross or a tree? And did he go the way of that cross and die a death to replace for me what I could not do for myself? God don't save nationalities. He is not superiorly looking at one nationality. He's looking to anybody, anybody that will trust and come to him. Somebody said, Brother Lee, you know, you got to be awful careful there. Well, no, you don't if you preach the word. It's God's word. It's not my word. It's God's word. I don't have to prop up something for God. I was listening just this week, and, and I heard something that will just make the hair stand up on your head. In Sweden, the, the national church there, and they have the Church of Sweden, which the Church of Sweden is uh, it's either Lutheran or Angelican. I don't remember which one it is. But nonetheless, in all of their Bibles, they're, re, they're taking their Bibles, they're reprinting new Bibles, and on the new Bibles, 
it does not give any gender unto the Lord or God. You say he is gender neutral. Well, we would have to agree with that to a certain degree. We'd have to agree to that. But if Jesus came manifest as God in the flesh, and he was, he was the word of God, he was the word, he was God in the flesh. You have to understand that. He did not come as a woman. He come as a man. He is the bridegroom, and the bridegroom waits for the bride. There is no neutral general teaching. They have took even in the Lord's Prayer out of their Bibles and out of their books now, and they say, uh, our parent which are in heaven. They've replaced the word God or the male gender, replaced it with um, parent. So all throughout the Bible, so what came to Calvary was your parent. You understand that? Your parent, because they don't want to identify with any gender. They're teaching the little children. It is in the public schools now. The little children are being taught from the first grade neutral genderism. Yes. In the public school system supported by your tax dollars. Now. The Bible says, Isaiah says the number of the children of Israel is the sand of the sea, but a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work in righteousness, cut it short in righteousness. For as Isaiah saith before, except the Lord of Sabaoth hath left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and we had been like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness, we could insert legalism, hath obtained to... Righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not obtained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith. Now, if you'll look in your King James, uh, there's some little squirrely looking uh, lettering right there, which means it wasn't in the original. It wasn't in the original. And so King James has notified us of that. But he says, because they sought it not by faith... And we believe that to be the case. But as it were by the works of the law. But they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written. And this is my last verse. Behold I lay in Zion a stumbling stone. It's actually a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Listen to me. I say this and I say it with a really a sincere spirit and a sincere heart. If you don't believe in Messiah... You are of the Antichrist. I mean, that's as simple and plain as your face. You have an Antichrist spirit. Do you see that? I could teach you a lot of things which I don't have time to do here today. But there is currently two messiahs that they teach in Israel or in Judah. I want to close and close with this word. There is always something to have faith for. Somebody says, that sermon title means that's talking about you. You don't have to believe anything because Brother Lee says it. I've never told you to believe anything because I say it. I'm just saying approach it. huh? That's right. I'm saying approach it with what? The Holy Spirit. He said he will lead you and guide you in the whole truth. Approach it with the Holy Spirit and, you know, have faith for that. 